0: within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Hello and welcome to Camping with Outbears, I am the Lonely Adventurer. So we did a bunch of gaming this week, I already reported on three of them, but the big game, number four. Uh, my S two three murder hobos. Uh, when last we met our heroes, they had just defeated a roper, uh, narrowly avoiding character death through a quirk of the rules. <laughs> uh, to recap, that Belladonna, the halfling magic user, uh, has a talent that allows her to re-roll a certain number of critical failures or to re-roll or to force an opponent to re-roll a certain number of critical successes um depending on her level uh, she can currently do it once per day I believe and then at level four she can do it twice per day and then three at six and so on and so forth anyway it's one of the talents out of glaive um I mean just as a little aside there the more and more I've been playing with uh my glaive rules You'd think I would have gone in with a clear design intent, but uh, that's not how this project worked out. It was it was just my house rules uh, that developed organically. But as I kind of like retroactively look at what I was doing, (coughs) uh, definitely trying to kind of bring a bit of the. variety you can get with characters in fifth edition but keeping it fast and light like basic D, &D, if that makes any sense at all uh so yeah anyway she almost died uh she got mauled by the roper but then i forced me to re-roll the net 20 that the roper got uh he still put a chomp on her and that this is all recapped uh, two episodes ago i believe so I i won't go into that but uh as the party kind of collected itself in the Roper room, Uh, Maul had taken out his black chalk, uh, experimented with it a little bit, uh, not really learning anything more about it, and then just, in I don't know if it was frustration or what, but uh, my wife just says, okay, Maul draws a circle on the ground around the party, uh, hoping that would do something, and it definitely uh, did. Uh, So within the circumference of this circle that Maul drew, a dark oily film formed and then kind of bulged up and through the party until they were inside of this bubble and then uh a, a long angular bony face pushed in from the other side of the veil eyes glowing menacingly and uh that was where we'd left off our previous session uh they were expecting to be eaten by a ghost basically uh but instead he just says ask your question uh as Uh, outlined by Josh Backelheimer's awesome call-in. The chalk allows the user to draw a circle, creating a portal to the spirit realm, and a ghost from the area will appear and answer one question before returning to wherever it is that it exists. Uh, And this happened to be an elf adventurer who perished in this cave at the hands of the roper. In fact, I decided uh, that he was the previous owner of the thornbow that Farcan, the elf, picked up from the roper. Uh, he was not pleased at all to see someone else with his beloved uh, weapon in hand, but wasn't much he could do about it, really. It We had a good, oh man, 10-15 minutes of role-playing with this guy. Uh, lots of laughs at the table. Uh, they were trying to kind of interrogate him, uh, he accused he he accused them of bringing a lawyer at one point on the adventure with them because my wife is really good at uh, not breaking rules but exploiting any kind of weaknesses in rules. Uh, so there was discussion about could it be one question that was multi-parted uh, or you know etc cetera, etc. Cetera. We went in circles for quite a while, <laughs> quite a while uh, back and forth, um, and it was good. It got it got kind of silly, but we all really enjoyed that. And finally, you know, the, the question they wanted to ask was, you know, how what's the disposition of the goblins in the far room? Who is in the far room? So he told them, um, and he laid it out very clearly. There is a an ogre, six goblins, uh, some sort of a goblin shaman, and a bugbear in there, and a whole bunch of freaky machinery. So what that uh, with that interaction over, we party began to creep towards the the corridor that led to the final room in this little dungeon. Uh, We had been playing around a bit mechanically with Roll20. I discovered in my Saturday morning game with the Reavers of Harkenwald that I was out of storage space. I had already uploaded 100 megs worth of maps for uh, for games, and so I figured, you know, we're going to be doing this for a while, we're getting good use out of it, so I bought myself a year-long subscription to Roll20, which So I spent a few hours on Saturday evening uh, drawing in the invisible walls and filling in the stalagmites and stalactites and equipping the light bearer of the party with a a torch and setting up the low light vision for the elf and the dwarf. The only thing that I wish was different is that uh, it uses the idea of dark vision from more modern D&D games where it's just magical seeing the dark vision. And there doesn't seem to be much you can do about that in my own game I just kind of house rule that uh oh it's not even a house rule I think this is right out of BX or maybe OD&D where uh low light vision is canceled out by anything brighter than the moon or a candle and there's really no way to simulate that with roll 20 but I, I decided that the dynamic lighting was too cool not to play with <laughs> so we did but it led to all kinds of Uh, interesting problems between that and running zoom for six people or seven people if i include myself uh it really kind of makes things chug a bit uh i had my my browser crashed about three or four times during the game uh zoom crashed once or twice uh so i'm not sure i'm gonna have to be a little more um uh, deliberate in when I, I, i do and do not use that anyway but what was great about it is that uh when you have that feature working even if a character moves their token into an area if there's something blocking line of sight and there's say a goblin hiding behind a pillar that goblin they'll they'll see the map reveal but they won't see the token of the goblin until it until the software determines that it has come into the field of vision of the character and some you know some characters can see things other characters can't because of line of sight and uh, it does add an interesting element to the game that i thought was really neat but anyway so they enter this final chamber, which is eerily lit by several globes hovering around the room. The back walls, the, the northwest, north and northeast arc of this chamber is just covered in what looks like metallic coral. And there are strange plinths, and um, I, I guess I call them you'd call them workstations, or like computer stations, uh, like arcane computer stations, and these and these guys had no idea what they were, so I described them in such a way that uh, I, no light was shed in their, in their world, and in the center of the room, uh, in a huge 15-foot-tall capsule, was this uh, desiccated corpse, they assumed, of some kind of massive Uh, giant in armor or they couldn't tell if it was armor or if they were some kind of a a chitinous uh, outer shell of this creature had a lot of very kind of insectoid features going on and uh, it was basically floating in this ancient formaldehyde. and uh, what I was kind of going for was like the the corpse of the engineer from uh, the aliens movies Uh, the the sitting still sitting in his uh, his navigator's position Uh, and this is dominating the room and behind, beyond him, they can see the owlbear eggs that they have come for, have been put in, placed into a makeshift kind of a uh, crèche. And the goblins have had plenty of time to prepare for them. So standing just to the side of this massive capsule is what is clearly the goblin leader, is bigger than the others and better armed and armored. He's got two goblins in front of him as a meat shield, the two survivors of the chase. And next to him is uh an ogre with a massive uh is a hoda a hodor I'm forgetting the word hodok um, a platform mounted above his shoulders uh a walled platform uh which in which are crouching four more goblins with uh, armed with spears and and bows uh, and no sign of that bugbear i mentioned uh, in the room also are, were several large uh, rock columns that were kind of holding up the ceiling of the chamber. One of them was just to the left of the entrance where the party came in. One was a bit further off to the right. And my assumption had been, <laughs> here I go again, never assume what your players are going to do. But my thinking had been, the, if, I, if it were me, the way I would approach this, uh, I would probably hug a wall, much like they did when they came into the Roper's chamber. Uh, so that they can't be ambushed. Uh, so of course they did the exact opposite and just charged right into the room. Their their blood was still up. Um, they were they saw their prize was in sight, and they just were having none of it. The the goblin leader started monologuing a little bit, uh, tried to intimidate them, to try to scare them off. Gave them an opportunity to surrender. Um, he knew full well that uh, they'd taken a beating at the hands or the tentacles of the roper. And so he was trying to negotiate his way out of this situation. But uh, Maul being Maul, uh, you know, I really, I can't, I can't criticize this because I did the exact same thing two days ago, as I said, last episode with Torvy v. Stormgirdle. Dwarf sees a goblin, he's gotta, he's gotta put an axe in its head, right? That's just, that's just how it is. So <laughs> Maul charges forward into these goblins and instantly engages uh, the two meat shields uh, trying to get at the... The leader, he can't reach. He had to. He double moved. so he, he he made a double move and still was not in melee combat with these guys. Uh, the shaman shoves forward the goblins, casting Wheel or Woe on them and basically giving them uh, advantage on their first attack rolls. Uh, Wheel or Woe is just an, another. It's an adaptation of the BX Bless spell, but I wanted it to be not. I didn't want to limit it to clerics. I wanted it to be a spell that anyone could take. So I just renamed it, but the effect is exactly is essentially the same. Uh, so you can either you can cast it on a number of creatures equal to your hit dice, and they, if they are allies, they will have advantage on their next roll, and if they are opponents, they will have disadvantage on their next roll. So he blesses his, his two goblin meat shields and shoves them forward at the dwarf. Uh, meanwhile, the ogre starts swinging wide, but not rushing to engage anyone just yet, because he's got the four goblins on his back who are just firing their short bows at everyone. Uh, FJ, the human warrior, runs to back up Maul, and this is where my assumption of how things were going to go kind of fell apart. <clears throat> Having assumed that they would hug the wall, I also assumed that F.J. would be in the lead. F.J. seems to be, he's, he's got the most hit points, he hits the hardest, he's the human fighter, he's, he's, he is the guy whose job it is to stand between the squishy people and, and so- soak up and deal out physical damage. So I assumed he would lead the party around the the corner behind the the stone pillar where there was a bugbear waiting, uh, but that did not happen. <laughs> so he rushes into to back up Mall, uh, Belladonna the cleric, and JD move Belladonna. am no, no, no. trying. To, sorry, I have to map this out. Sorry, not JD the human magic user, but Farkan the elf move out a, a bit of a ways from the door, but they just make a normal move so they can all cast uh, spells and fire arrows and and whatnot at uh, the ogre. Um, Belladonna can, had a, was down to one or two spells, and she didn't see quite how... One of them was not very useful in the situation, so she converted it into a blast of pure arcane energy um, and uh, laid quite a hammering on the ogre in the first salvo. JD... The other, the human magic user, he had been brutally savaged by the Roper. He has, had turned himself into a marble uh, twice in order to get away. Uh, he had been on death's doorstep more than once. Uh, Cletus, the cleric, had used up all of her miracles, healing him back up, but he was still very low on hit points. And so he went around the stone column to the left of the door where the bugbear was waiting in ambush. Uh, I rolled in advance to see if the bugbear had surprise on the group. I figured out how to do DM rolls uh, that the players can't see in uh, roll 20, which normally I don't do. You know, when we're doing combats, they see all my rolls. But if I'm rolling for something that their characters would not have access to that knowledge, I, I, I like to hide them. So JD goes... Uh, is wisely trying to use this column as cover from what he sees as the main combat, and from behind him, he is a bit—he is ambushed by this bugbear, um, who hits him so hard. I think he went to negative fifteen or twenty hit points. It was a—it was a good hit. I think it might have been a nat twenty. And once again, poor JD, JD's player, I should say, uh, his third character met his end. Or did he? <laughs> so just as last time, Belladonna had thrown me for a bit of a loop by uh, using her devil's luck talent to force the Roper to reroll a critical attack against her. FJ also had a strange uh, ability that came out of the uh, emergent backstory random table that we use from the 10-foot polemic blog to kind of uh, just procedurally generate Backstory for our characters as they make it to let you, you roll every time they level up and you get another little uh, tidbit from their past. I know I've talked about this before, but just in case you are not familiar with this, uh, you roll randomly on this, uh, this D100 table and it presents you with a situation from your character's past, and there's one or two outcomes uh, either uh, how you reacted or what the results were. Two different ways it can go, and it is not up to the player of that character, but up to the rest of the players at the table to say the, to decide which way it goes based on how they see that character being played by the person, uh, which I think is a really a really nice twist so uh, it turned out that uh, FJ had been born under an auspicious, auspicious omen, and the table gave her this really annoying power, and i wasn 't going to say no, but I really wish I had. <laughs> I really wish there had been a diplomatic way to say no, where basically, I think it's once per session. He can cause someone to survive something that should have killed them. And JD had just been smashed by this owl bear, uh, so we talked about it a bit and said, "Okay, you're you're 40 feet away from him. How are you going to save his bacon?" Um, It doesn't specifically apply only to F.J., it says anyone, so uh, we basically narrated that uh, as F.J. was charging in to fight the goblins, he saw a flicker of movement in the shadows and called out a warning to J.D., and uh, it was a little flimsy, so we we, we rolled a die to see if it went off, Uh, and uh, uh, things went in the player's favor and so i think i don't remember if i re-rolled the attack and damage from the bugbear or if i just halved it or what have you it doesn't matter jd survived barely i think he was down to one hit point point. and things continued on cletus then peel the cleric then peels off she had been on her way to back up the fighter and the dwarf against the goblins she peels off to intercept this bugbear. meanwhile the magic users are backing up towards the door as quickly as they can Uh, Farcan the elf is uh, holding her ground and just firing arrows constantly at the uh, at the ogre so it was a pretty intense fight going on in here the the characters the players are all a bit worried they knew they were low on spells and uh, hit points and uh, just they wanted to get this over with quickly as possibly but uh, since it was a straight up brawl they were outnumbered uh it was not gonna be easy i made a point of narrating i think first blood was a maul landing a blow uh, either on one of the meat shield goblins, yeah on one of the meat shield goblins uh and as he kills it its blood splatters across the uh the container holding this desiccated giant alien bug man and when this happens i described uh lights kind of flickering within the coral uh, construct along the wall kind of rippling back and forth uh, like the bioluminescence of a jellyfish and I made a point every time we finished around uh, anytime blood was spilt the 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 energy flowing around the room got more intense and the party became aware of a sound that had been there the whole time but they were unaware of uh, kind of a way you know, you're unaware of the sound of your refrigerator running in the kitchen until suddenly it goes off um, and this humming noise got a bit louder and louder and more intense um, so the combat continues the the goblins uh, the meat shield goblins go down quickly before FJ and Maul at which point Maul engages the goblin leader and uh, the goblin lands a good, a good hit on Maul uh, but Mall has a, a talent called uh, I always say it long, wrong. Is it riposte? Riposte day? I don't know anything about uh, sword fighting in real life, <laughs> or I guess I know as much as any uh, nerd does, but I don't know how to say the terms uh, properly all the time. <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, that's I think it's right out of uh, adapted right out of fifth edition where uh, battle master ability, where if an enemy lands a blow on you, you can uh, make an immediate counterattack. and it doesn't count as your action, but you can, you can do it once per round uh so the maul lands a crushing blow on the shaman and when and the at this point the lights are going crazy the 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 pitch of the the hum is getting louder and louder until it 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 reaches a level where they can no longer hear it they just feel the pressure inside their heads from it um and no one's really cluing in that this is important (laughs) or if they were i had no indication that they were that they they were onto this they were very focused on the fight um belladonna was down to her last spell uh jd was practically crippled Uh, cletus the cleric was uh getting her face beat in by this bugbear although she was giving as as good as she got she was already worn down from the fight with the roper uh so statistically it was probably not going to go well for her and as maul lands this hammer blow on the goblin leader the ogre pivots towards maul and closes the the distance and the goblins are readying long, like boar spears to get this dwarf and the ogre takes a swipe with its giant club and connects solidly with maul uh, instantly killing him uh, he is his body smashes up against the uh, the desiccated uh, space navigator bug man uh, and as the Dwarven blood coats this machinery, the lights on the wall are all just going absolutely batshit insane. Um, the And the party is just kind of... The players are just struck dumb at this point. Um, we've had player deaths uh, as we've already talked about and uh, the player of JD just kind of via zoom gives my wife a thumbs up welcomes her to the club once again and uh, and we're out of tricks to save characters at this point FJ has used their little quirk from their background and uh, Belladonna's trick only works on her and she's already done it once today so she can't do it again and Maul is he's just he's gone <laughs> and so uh the the player of Belladonna is a a very expressive person, had some things to say. (laughs) Um, And uh, my wife was just a bit in shock. Not that I would let the dice kill her character, but I guess uh, just I was not ready for it. Uh, So she had to take a moment. Uh, The whole party took a moment. Uh, Maul was kind of uh the ad, ad hoc leader of the party um my wife is an aggressive question asker uh and so she's always kind of leading the other players uh through investigating whatever environment they're in and figuring out how to deal with the uh the hurdles that they encounter and yeah it was a real it was like a, a re- an actual legit emotional blow um and so everyone was kind of like, oh, he can't really be dead, right? <laughs> but I think he, he was at like negative twenty. He was he was super dead. Super, super dead. Um And then everyone just went apeshit. Uh the magic users just burned the rest of their spells as kind of pure arcane blasts and and uh just wrecked the the ogre uh, who on his last few hit points uh Farcan, the elf puts an arrow through his head and uh he kind of stares dumbly at it kind of like the, the the cave troll in uh lord of the rings down in uh the mines of moria before he topples over spilling goblins out to the floor and they just massacre them and as the blood is flying the lights are going crazy the 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 their heads are bursting from this humming uh and uh the cleric she's on her last hit point and she has a talent called berserker and I, this is also, I think, adapted from the like the half-orc uh, in 5th edition. But basically, when she has dropped to 0 hit points, she can continue fighting for a number of rounds that are equal to her level. She's 3rd level at this point. And all of her hits, when they connect, do maximum damage. No roll necessary. And so she says, I take out my dagger and I stab, stab myself in the leg. So she drops herself to 0 hit points and then just goes ham on this bugbear. Um, the only problem with berserker is that you will also attack you'll attack whatever is closest to you be that friend or foe Um, so she kind of yelled at uh, the magic users who were clustered kind of nearby her she's like you guys better get clear She just drove the dagger into her leg eyes rolled up in her head and she just went nuts on this bugbear Um, so blood is flying everywhere and that's when things went pear-shaped uh, so the ceiling of this chamber was not natural stone. None of it was really natural stone, just the ground and the pillars holding up the, the ceiling. But the ceiling was a series of uh, hexagons. And these beams of solid white light in the shape of a hexagon started spearing down into the floor, obliterating whatever uh, inorganic material they hit. Um one comes down on the body of Maul and he begins to kind of float up into the light, so to speak. Uh at which point this this was the moment where the party was like, ah, he's gonna live. This is gonna be the thing that lets him live. And um one of them comes down on Farcan the elf and I describe Farcan looking at her hand and uh as she looks it her arm begins to turn to dust and kind of blow away. And more and more beams come crashing down faster and faster until everyone in the room is engulfed. And then the party is just flying through time and space. Um and this is definitely not where anyone saw this goofy uh bug uh owlbear egg hunt going. Oh, I should also note at one point, uh JD did dash forward uh, in through the combat and he has a spell, um that allows him uh i think it's called elasticize uh it's basically the mr fantastic uh trick where he can he can stretch his limbs out when he casts a spell uh, up to 40 or 50 feet or something like that so he had double moved across the chamber as far as he could the the absolute range of this uh, spell cast it as the goblin the shaman who was fleeing for his life was also fleeing for the the owlbear eggs and he scooped up these eggs and, and reeled them in uh, and that was when the light beams started falling and Maul died. And you know, everything was happening at once. So I'm sure I'm getting the order incorrect on everything. So everyone is flying through. They don't know what. Uh, and, and when they look out in front of them, it's just a wall of uh, rainbow lights flashing past them like uh, like the rainbow bridge uh, to, uh, to, between Midgard and Isengard. Uh, and when they look up, they just see the, these lines of color disappearing into infinity and the same thing below them. And they're, they become kind of unaware of time passing. Uh, begin to become unaware of themselves as they just kind of dissipate in this dust and then suddenly they can see something uh, uh, below them and as the little pinpoint of light uh, where all the lines of color are converging begins to grow and grow they get the impression of a, a deep bowl shaped valley laid out before them and it comes rushing up to them far too quickly and they find themselves laying on uh, lime green grass on a small island with a pagoda behind them, with a, a statue of a female figure inside the pagoda, um, koi ponds, uh, and a very very different place than where they had just been. The they're lightheaded. There's the it's like almost like there's too much oxygen. The oxygen is too rich um, everything smells a little off, everything, the sunlight is a little, a little off, and that was when one of the characters looks up into the sky, and I describe how you can see the moon during the day when the sunlight is reflecting off of it, but now there is a second moon, and both of them are moving noticeably across the sky, uh, which is not something the moon normally does, <laughs> well, at least not, not, that I'm aware of anyway, um, and they're all there laying in the grass. And that was when I asked, okay, uh, important question here. Did anyone turn into a cat? Uh, this through the group, of course, cause it's a stupid question. <laughs> and so I say, what were you? Th-? And so we, there's a little back and forth and I, I asked what were you thinking of in the moment that, uh, the light took you? And about half the party was nothing, uh, nothing in particular, just the fight. Um, but Cletus the cleric was uh, very clearly obsessing on the bugbear and thinking about nothing but this bugbear, about taking it out before she died. And uh, JD mentions that he was uh, thinking of owls because he had the owlbear eggs. Um, So it turns out that what you were thinking about at the time that you are transported uh, makes a difference in this case. And so now jd the magic user he as he as he brings a hand up to his face to kind of wipe the sweat off he notices that where his hand used to be are uh long feathers uh and that his vision is stranger than usual uh like he can see too much uh like his peripheral vision has gone from his normal cone of vision has gone from 60 degrees to 120 degrees uh and he has uh been transformed into an aracocra uh likewise uh cletus the cleric uh is uh in the process of uh, waking up as a bugbear in cleric's armor and uh yeah so that's goofy and fun and everyone thought that was great and then they're like and what about maul and maul unfortunately is still just a dead dwarf uh, so now we are down to two players left from the original six that started in uh tomb of the serpent kings and between the two transformations and the death of Maul, half the party has been completely transformed. <laughs> uh, they don't know where they are. They don't know when they are. They notice that the, the air is crisper. It, is, it was dead of winter uh, when they went into the cave after the owl bear eggs. Uh, it is now either early spring or late fall. They have no way of knowing, but just by the color of the, the grass and uh, the smells of the air, some amount of time has passed. They are not in the same place they were because there's an extra moon uh and half of them are inhuman or more than half of them now are demi (laughs) demi demi-humans of one sort or another um so yeah that was the game we left it there uh at which point it was the first time i ever said this is a good place to call a game after one of our i think we were on for about four hours and usually at the end of four hours when I say this, let's call it here, everyone's in agreement and they're all just kind of, you know, give a little sigh of relief, uh, cause cause they're done. Um, but not this kid, not today. They were like, no, no, we need to keep going. We need to know what's going on and we need to know what's up. We have to deal with mall. We have to process what just happened. And it's like, well, well, we'll do that next time. Um, so we did do some administrative stuff. Um, but, uh, not much else. We, uh, called it there. Uh, I've been emailing the players of Cletus and JD, uh, working out how exactly an Arakokra and a bugbear works in a game that's got more mechanically in in, in common with BX than it does 5th <laughs> edition. Uh, but not too bad, actually. I, I coincidentally had... Uh... Oh, so third character, uh, my wife's character, uh, after she process the death of Maul, Um, we start talking about what uh, she should do next, and uh, just on the map I moved them to in Roll20, it's this really great, uh, I I wish I could tell you off the top of my head who created the map, but it's this, uh, it's a series of small islands, kind of like a water garden, I guess, Um, little stone paths through the water from little island to island, little shrines on all the islands, and there's lots of little uh, squat uh, like idol statues scattered around the island so my wife and i were talking about that and she's like well are there warforged in in old school D and i was like well no but i don't think we're in old school D anymore at this point um uh, and i had just coincidentally while making uh monster cards to go with the glaive kickstarter i decided to draw a warforged or a, a construct uh since i don't want any copyright violations um so a mechanical man and i had figured out basically what you would start with if that was what you were doing uh so i had a template ready for that and then the aracocra was pretty or an owl an owl themed aracocra uh was pretty easy too they can fly and i guess as an owl you can probably see in the dark right um and the bugbear was not too hard either. Uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters for Fifth Edition has guidelines for playing a bugbear as a player, and so I just kind of read through that and said, "Okay, what what what's the what do I have to filter through this through to make it uh, work with Glaive and worked all that out. So then I emailed both those players and said, "We're going to build your characters from level one back up to whatever." I think they both are level recently turned level four, um, so. We're gonna build them up through the four levels. Uh, the cleric is probably not a cleric anymore, uh, although I think the magic user is now just an owl who is a magic user. Um, yeah, so I've been talking, you know, for the last couple of uh, episodes about bringing a bit more uh, weirdness and whimsy into the game. And uh, Morty Trufflebun bumps uh, Wild Magic Emporium uh, was a good start on that, and he sent them off on the owl bear chase. Uh, the albert egg chase and now they are in a completely different world i've got uh, it's actually a world i've been just kind of tinkering with on and off over time um, it's an artificial construct and they don't know that uh, it, it just happens to line up in parallel with that westworld game i was talking about uh, last session but i am basing it a bit more on an excellent graphic novel novel called habitat by simon roy uh, if you just google it you'll get some amazing images Uh, But they don't know that, and they're going to have to figure it out. And i have kind of moving away from the dungeon crawl, the straight-up dungeon crawl, into something a little more... I don't want to say it's a narrative game, but there is an overarching things that are happening in the world, and I'm going to lay them out in front of the characters, and I think that's what the players are looking to engage with at this point more. They'll still be kicking in doors and getting treasure and and killing monsters and such, but uh, uh, with a bit more of a, a meta plot laid over it but uh still it'll all be driven by whatever decisions they make and choices they make i have no end result in mind i know what the big bad of this world is doing behind the scenes and whether or not they ever see them or directly interact with them will be entirely up to them it's not necessary to what i'm thinking so yeah wow that's where we're at it was pretty intense uh one character death two character transformations uh Bella Donna the halfling is furious or rather i should say her player is (laughs) furious about the death of maul uh everyone is solidly shook by that um which kind of takes me back to something i i I know i mentioned in the past and some some place i've been coming to in my own gaming as much as i enjoy uh the lethality of old school games uh it's just because i've been playing games for so many years like it doesn't bother me because i've probably made you know hundreds of characters at this point in my life um but these guys are all new to it and they're invested in their characters and they want to explore them and get to know them so um when I took Maul away uh everyone was quite upset the other two deaths we had uh the two fighters uh Heiko and uh Machete they all died I think on their first day out uh in the tomb of Ser- the Serpent Kings so no no attachments had been formed but uh yeah Maul had uh um, Maul had definitely latched onto other characters and other characters had had latched on to him. So this is the first death in the group that had um, an impact on the players as well as the player characters. So yeah, so that's where we're at. We're getting together again on next Monday, I think. So a week from yesterday. And we're going to figure out what's what. And we will introduce the quasi-Warforge construct, stone construct person Uh, who is going to be one of these little icon statues that I mentioned that are kind of scattered around uh, this water garden that they find themselves in. But I think first we'll have to deal with uh, the body of Maul, and uh, maybe we'll we'll see if we do an impromptu funeral or not. Uh, I'll let you know uh, after we play. All right, I've rambled for far too long. Lonely adventurer out.